Welcome to the Variety Hour on AM 990, where local leaders talk Memphis. Listen to you, move your mouth. I bet you come from way down south. Now don't tell me, let me guess. You from the town that I love best. Talk Memphis, I wish you would. Talk Memphis, you sound so good. Talk Memphis, high on the bluff. I swear I can't get enough. Welcome to Talk Money on AM 990. And now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. And good morning. This is Talk Money. I am Jim Shoemaker. And welcome to the program. And we are packed for a day. I mean, you we've got a lot of stuff we're going to be talking about. Before I get into the program, though, I want to make sure everybody is beginning to get the feel. I mean, we kind of talk about this a little bit. The Trump rally. I mean, right after the election, during the election, you saw the market drop, and then after that, we've seen new highs. Uh, but, you know, some people are beginning to say, has the Trump rally now f- begin to fizzle out? Uh, maybe, maybe not. I mean, you know, there's been this movement. Uh, U.S. is beginning. I mean, face it, we've just seen new highs because of a couple of things. And, you know, it's it's not new. It's This is not this is not rocket science. This was basics. In fact, we actually told you on the program of probably— during, you know, the summer that if you really wanted to try to fix our economy, there's a couple of things that you ought to be looking to do if you happen to be the president. And we said, and along with a couple of our guests, that deregulation would be number one. And, of course, the fact that we might do some corporate tax reform and some fiscal stimulus. Well, those three things. Now, you know, I know Trump called us and we talked to him quite lengthy about how to do all this and the reality. Of course, you know, I'm kidding. But the re- the thought is that's exactly what he's talking about. Deregulation, corporate tax reform and fiscal stimulus. And that has moved the stock market. It's moved the the upward movement, uh, it's put some pressure on the bonds uh, and the U.S. dollar. But, you know, the reality is we've seen the S&P and the Dow move to new highs. Confidence, who's confident? That is the consumer. They are beginning to see that. We saw that from the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Index. It moved up to 87 percent, and uh, that's up, excuse me, from 87 to 94, and that's up. That's a pretty good sign. That's a lot of... That gives us a, a retail movement for the for the this December. It also just basically says we are going to, um, I hope, have a good Santa Claus rally. That's what we look for in this particular time of the year. And again, you're looking at uh, what's going on with inflation. Uh, we think that commodity prices are going to kind of get stimulated a little bit. They probably have bottomed out and uh, durable goods orders. We saw that surge up in uh, October, uh, surge 2.8%. So you're seeing some movement, and uh, that's a good thing. And i got to say this to you. You know, we talk about interest rates rising on the program a lot. And, of course, we say we've been saying it for two years. And before the election, the reality was at close of the trading of the Friday before the election, there was about a 67 percent chance. That's what basically was being told by everybody that, hey, you know what, 12-14, 12-15, when, when the rates were going to go up, that's what they were definitely be a rate hike. That's 67. After the election, any idea what the number might be now? How about 94% are saying that we're going to have a rate hike 
as it uh, as of 12:14. So that's the Federal Reserve's telling us that, and we agree a hundred percent with that. And uh, hey, we've got a program that you do not want to miss. This is one of those that we're going to talk about charitable giving, and there's a reason why it's important in Memphis. I have Mac Bailey and David Rochester with us. We're going to dive in, talk about some ways to give money, and why it's important for Memphis. Because you know everybody badmouths Memphis about whatever this and that and that. We happen to be number two on something that when you. When we come back, you got to find out. So stay with us. A lot of talk money coming up. I'm Jim Shoemaker. We'll be right back after this. Jim Shoemaker and David Rochester are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services Incorporated. Securities dealer, member FINRA SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. We'll be right back with talk money after this. Are you aging? Well, I am. This is Mac Bailey from the Bailey Law Firm. As we age, our concerns and needs change. An updated estate plan will give you peace of mind regarding your family and your future. Your will is about your wishes and not always about your wealth. What are your wishes? Please call us at 901-843-2760 or visit us at thebaileylawfirm.com. Again, this is Mac Bailey from the Bailey Law Firm telling you that today is the youngest you will ever be. Let us help you with your estate planning, elder law, and probate needs, it's what we do. Podcasts for Talk Money are available for iOS mobile devices in the iTunes Store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. And welcome back. I am Jim Shoemaker, and we have David Rochester and Mac Bailey. And uh, guys, welcome to the program. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate you having me. Glad to be here. You know, Mac, I want to say thank you to you as one of our sponsors. And uh, we, you're a frequent guest. You've been a frequent guest for years. But I really do appreciate you being a part of our sponsoring the program for us. Glad to be a sponsor and glad to be here. Well, let me. I want to talk about this, guys, because we are, and David, help me with this, we are number two in this particular category in the nation. That is correct. And it is, it is a great number two for this city. Second only to Salt Lake City okay. in, terms of, in terms of per capita giving. Per capita so giving. So I think that's phenomenal. You know, As you said earlier, a lot of people want to criticize uh, uh, Memphis and even Southerners, but Southerners show a tendency to giving more uh, by what they make, according to what they make, and, and the number of people that give than anywhere else in the nation. And I think we just forget that. Uh, we don't really think about that. And I, and again, I think it's important for people to know that. And Mac, I know in your practice, in, in the law practice, that you work with a lot of people to to guide them through the process because, I mean, there's tons of ways to, to do gift planning. And so help me with this. And what to do you, when you talk with someone, what are the benefits that you see from planned giving? Well, the benefits of planned giving include tax benefits, first an income tax benefit to the donor, to my client, um, and then also a potential capital gains tax benefit to where if they gift an appreciated asset to a charity and the charity sells that asset, then the charity doesn't pay a capital gains tax. So the, the reality is there's, there's a tax benefit right off the top. There's a definite tax benefit. There can also be an income benefit to the donor or to the client to where the donor actually makes a gift and in return gets an income stream from that gift from the charity. And that's a huge benefit to some donors. And I know a lot of people don't think about that part. They they And so I, I really do want us to get into that pretty detailed because I feel like that that is one of those things that is so forgotten. We always think about, well, I'll write a check. It's, it's now December. That's why we're doing this program. It's time for me to start realizing where, and for a lot of 
charities, this is the month for them. This sets their budget, basically, for the year. But what about doing, give me some of the ways that we can make gifts. Let's just go through that. But I really want to get into that income stream you were talking about. Well, first, what most people think about is what we call a bequest, where in your will, you say, I give charity X, X number of dollars. That's an outright bequest upon death. Um, So that's easy for most people to grasp. But then the income stream type gifts, like a gift annuity, the charitable remainder trust, a pooled income fund, those kinds of gifts where the donor actually makes a gift of the asset and then in return gets an income stream from it plus a tax benefit is really a phenomenal uh, opportunity for making a gift to a charity to benefit the charity but also benefit the donor at the same time. Why would somebody – I mean, help me with that. Why would someone not do that? I mean, that sounds like, okay – I ought to do this. That that helps me. That helps my family. I mean, helps my spouse. So why wouldn't I not do that? Why wouldn't that be a one of my top ways of giving money? Well, one reason is called a planned gift, and that means you have to plan for it. And so a lot of clients uh, don't actually prepare for the future uh, because they think in the present only. They don't think in the future. So I think you have to plan for that gift. So it takes some action, some forethought, forethought and some actual time involved in doing it. You hit it. I mean, that's uh, I couldn't have asked you to have answered that question any better. I hadn't thought about it that way, but it is a planned gift. And so I guess what I want to say to our listeners is what we're trying to talk about today. Everybody understands the request where they just say, I'm going to give money. Now, you're talking about why you're living right now. This is not a, a, at the end of, you know, hey, I'm now dead. I want to leave my money to the charity or whatever. And, David, you've got a statistic I think is tremendous for people to think about that everybody thinks that only the wealthy give away money. That's not true. What's well, that number? That's exactly right, Jim. Uh, the most recent statistic out of the Atlas of Giving is that 73% of, of charitable giving, of donations, come from individuals. And that could be as little as a $25 check from, you know, somebody. Every day individuals just rank and file real people like us that we just simply make gifts and we do it out of our heart. We do it because we care. And yet uh, what, what Mac is talking about is not that type gift, but someone who's been doing that for years. And I know I've got clients that literally $25 a year to a charity and this is their 30th year of doing it. But they need to do some planning, Mac. And what you're saying is just by stopping and saying, okay, I've been doing it. This is the charity. I love them. This is, I've watched them. I appreciate But I need to do some planning about it. I mean, one of the easiest planned gifts is what we call a gift annuity, where you call the charity up and you say, for example, I have $1,000 or $10,000 that I want to make a gift to your charity with. But I'd like to receive some income stream from that gift. And the charity accepts the, the monetary amount, whether it's 10000 or 50000 whatever it is. And then in turn, they pay you an annual income from that amount based on your age. So the older you are, the more you make because there's a presumption that you're going to pass away sooner. <laughs> sooner, yeah. So now that's – and that's – it's the charity that's making that, right? It's the charity that's actually saying – We'll pay you. Now, what happens to the money? I mean, are they, does it, the money that you've given, does it just go away? or What happens is the charity normally takes that $10,000 gift and puts it in reserve, and that's what they use to pay your income stream off. And it could be for life or it could be for a term of years, like for 10 years. But at the end of the term or when you die, then the charity is able to take the remaining amount of money and deposit it in their account and use it for their charitable means. Okay, so the reality is... That's really allowing the donor 
the the person giving the gift to get an income stream and the future is the fact that the charity is going to get the money to use it at your death. That's right. And a lot of my clients like that gift because it doesn't involve a lawyer. <laughs> that's great. Okay. That's a good point. I understand that. Uh, but now that's planned giving. Give me some other thoughts of planned giving. So we're really talking about it, and we do this on this program a lot. And those of you that are listening, you know we, we're very, very much into planning and very much want you to think planning. And if you just did tuned in, we're talking about gift planning or charitable giving and doing some planning with that. My guest, David Rochester, Mac Bailey of the Mac Bailey Law Firm, David Rochester of Shoemaker Financial. And I guess, Mac, give me, you talked about a bequest. We talked about a charitable remainder trust. Is that what you called it? Or? Right, a charitable remainder trust and where that is a... That's lar- usually for a larger gift, okay. a million dollars or more, okay. to where someone gifts this uh, amount of money into a trust. They receive an income stream from the trust, and then upon their death or then of a certain term of years, it would go to the charity. And and so would you? Would that be something they need? They have to do some planning there, right? That definitely requires some planning and probably does require a lawyer, a financial advisor, and a CPA. Okay, so a lot of people get involved there. So, again, this is stepping it up, though. So now let's go back. Let, take us through the steps, or not the steps. The types of charitable gifts, okay? And we started, we're just, it's just, I'm going to give money. The $25 gift a month, yeah. we do that. That takes very little planning there. But there, just move me through the list of sure. things to do. Well, first, everybody thinks of annual giving. That's what you're describing, right. where someone's making an annual gift to a charity. Um, and then you can do a bequest in your will. Where you say, I live $10,000 to XYZ charity. That's right. fairly simple. You put it in your will. We've also seen people uh, younger ages give life insurance policies to charities because they say, well, we don't have a large amount of money in the bank to actually write a large check, but I can go out and take out a $100,000 or $500,000 or a life insurance policy. I can give that policy to the charity, and then I, I can afford to pay the premium on that policy, and then I get an income tax deduction for the premium that I pay on the policy. So the, so the actual premium is a deduction, and that... That life insurance then at their death would go to the charity. I know some people that have done that for football tickets, but that's another ball game. <laughs> but that is a fact. I mean, a lot of times the charity has something, you know, that they say, you know, we'll, if you'll do this, we'll do this. Correct. Absolutely. There's all types of programs. We call it financial immortality. They're all kind of programs uh, by charities to honor you for your gifting. Right, right. So uh, gift annuity, what, what's a gift annuity? Gift annuity is, is once again, just where someone makes a, uh, a lump sum gift to the charity and the charity agrees to pay a per- certain percentage of that amount for their lifetime or for a term of year. So if it's a $10,000 gift, they may agree to pay a 9% uh, income rate on that $10,000 for the rest of your life. So the, uh, help me with that. Uh, walk me through that gift. Is that Make sure I understand that. Okay, so I've got an extra $10,000. I have a charity that I really love and appreciate, so I'm going to give that $10,000 to that charity. However, I really would like to have a little additional income every month in addition to my Social Security or whatever it may be. And so based on my age and the older I am, the higher the percentage return. So a 50-year-old is not going to get a 9% return on a gift annuity. You may need to be in your 80s to get that because they assume you're going to pass away at a sooner time period. So I give the 10000 to the charity. Charity pays me X number percent per year for it. And then when I die, the income stops, and the charity gets the $10,000. Okay, so the money is ultimately going to the charity, which should be your heartfelt desire. That's what you want to do. And all this, the annuity is, is saying, we'll pay you something 
while you're still alive to maintain that income stream that you've been working on. Correct. That's that's a great program. Again, Mac Bailey, David Rochester, we're talking about charitable giving. David, you talked about this as we were talking about the program before it started, was is the reality that it you know, when we give money and we do it as we do, that it helps nonprofits level out their cash flows. It helps them know and of course December is there and it you know, it helps them to forecast. Talk about that. You've worked with some charities, I know, and you've, sure. you've guided people into uh, some some thought processes of thinking how to make the gifts. And- right. Well, it, as you said, levelizing it is, is obviously easier for the charity itself. They can better manage their budget, their expenses, their cash flows coming in uh, throughout the year, and then also build campaigns around that to, to make up for the shortfall. You know, I, that's a huge point, uh, the campaigns and the projects. I know a lot of people give to projects. I was meeting with someone yesterday, and they, are, they have a project. They have a huge banquet coming up, but it's all about a project. And I appreciate the fact that they're saying this will not go to our day-to-day budget. This is not going to pay salaries. This is going to go to this "Quote unquote project," and it's a great project, and and I and I think that helps some people get involved and get kind of excited about doing something. Absolutely, like that. they it does. know they're giving to a project. We've got a local organization called Ducks Unlimited. Uh, built a great. Um, are we doing uh, organization? A, are we doing, doing a, 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 an advertisement for Ducks Not Unlimited? Not at all. <laughs> but uh, having been a member of DU for a long time, long I know time. they do a great job with it. And they do it project-oriented, don't they? That's exactly right. And every time you know you're giving a gift, you know what you're doing from that standpoint. Right. Actually, the former CFO is a good fishing buddy of mine. And okay. He would give me a hard time for me saying that. So, But uh, let's let's go into some of the other things, Mac. I mean, you talked about a gift annuity. You talked about it at the time of death, a bequest. Or you're talking about just daily giving. Pooled income fund. It's similar to a gift annuity, but it's not specific to an individual. So someone may... The charity has a large fund, and you make a smaller gift to it, whatever it may be, $1,000 or $2,500. And then they will pay you as well an income stream from the pooled fund, but it may vary each year. It may be based on the performance of the fund. So it's a little bit different than a gift annuity because it's more where they just pool a lot of smaller gifts together in order to um, get some type of return that they could pay a larger amount out to the donor. So so they're working with a lot of people, but it's, again, just not leaving. The person didn't make the gift. I mean, I'm thinking a lot of people don't know that they could actually have the charity giving them something back to help them make their monthly payments, you know, their, their living expenses, while they're living, and yet they know at, the, at their time of death that money's going to the charity. People don't know that. That's right. I described this gift to my dad, who used to be a farmer when he grew up, and he, he described it like this. He said, well, it's like having a chicken that you get eggs from every day and then giving away the chicken but still getting the eggs back every day. And I think that's a good way for people to think about it is that you're not really – you're not losing total control over the asset. You're not losing all the ability to earn some income off the asset. We call this income stream charitable gifts. And they work really, really well, and charities love them. And that's, that is a great way of looking at it. It's it's keeping the eggs. And uh, for a lot of people, that's critical. They don't make the gift because of that fear right there. I mean, when I talk with a lot of people, David, I'm sure you do too, everybody wants to be charitable, wants to do that, but they – that you can sense that last little moment of time that they back away because they just don't feel like, can I do this? Will it affect me? Will I not be able to meet my expenses? I know we talk about this. Of course, I am a part of Kingdom Advisors, which is a group of Christians that spend a lot of time with charitable giving. 
And we talk about, you know, that God has given us the basic command, you know, to go and teach and go and be a part. And, and we fund that and we look at how much money, you know, can we see that our practices are giving away. And it's amazing that when you talk about that with people, they could be as excited about doing something as they possibly can. I'm not talking about a football ticket. I'm not talking about to, you know, a project or Ducks Unlimited. I'm talking about to somebody saying, I want to see the gospel carried. And they can have be very passionate. And then you get to it and you get down to where it's time to make the write the check. And even though they have that desire to do it and they want to do it, they struggle. And you know what I'm talking about, don't you, Mac? Yes, sir, because many times they're trying to decide, can I afford to do this? And in our practice, when we do elder law planning, people don't know how long they're going to live. And mm-hmm. I'll never forget, I mean, one of the funniest things where people go, well, you tell me when uh, you're going to die, and I can tell you exactly how much <laughs> you need to spend. And I'm sure you all said that before as well. And we yeah. don't know that. And so I, that that unknown does come into play when you're wanting to make a charitable gift. All right. We're going to come back in just a minute. When we do, now, I want you guys to help us with this because... Mac, I need to go through the steps because there's a process, a mental process. So that's important. David, you'll help us with that as we go through this. So when you come back, we're going to talk about the process of charitable giving. It doesn't just happen because you woke up one morning and said, I'm going to write a check. you got to do some planning. And when we come back, we'll talk about what you do when you do the planning for charitable giving. Stay with us. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Investments will fluctuate, and when redeemed, it may be worth more or less than when originally invested. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. If you have questions you'd like to have answered on the program, email them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. And welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. And again, just to remind you, as we just did, that if you do have questions for us, just go to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. We'll be glad to get that. Or you can call me at my office at 901-757-5757. You can talk to David at 757-5757. And Mac, you can talk to Mac at 843-2760, And again, uh, you know, the Bailey Law Firm, estate planning, elder law, probate, planning for all generations. And, Mac, welcome back to the program. David, welcome back to the program. Thank Thank you, Jim. Guys, listen, we've got tons going on. I mean, I'm thinking in my head, I mean, people are, you know, we are the second best, most prolific in giving in the United States. We do it. We're, We're giving people. And yet I have in my practice, Mac, you've had in yours, David, yours, that we've had people that you can sense they want to do something, and yet when it gets down to that final signing the check and making the gift, they struggle. Some complete it. Some have to back away and come back, and it's just hard. Mac, start with us, because here we are. I'm I'm going to—let's just draw this together. We've come to you. I've got a client. We're talking, and we're going through this process, and— what do you see and how do you help a client get through that process? You know what I'm talking about. Absolutely, because most time the clients come in and first they have to have a charitable intent. So, uh, you know, many times we'll say for tax reasons, maybe you need to make a charitable gift. But if they don't have a relationship with a charity or feel moved to make that gift, normally that tax tail is not going to wag the charitable dog. That's so, right. so first a charitable intent. Once we get there, then they have to understand, can I afford to make this gift? And this is where it's key for me to have in my planning process, a financial advisor involved with it so they can explain to the client exactly what they could afford to make. And then, of course, 
the whole idea of an income stream charitable gift, and that helps them make up the decision as well because now we can include whatever income they may receive from this gift, whether it's a gift annuity or a charitable remainder trust, as part of uh, a way for them to pay for their ordinary everyday living expenses. And so the, the thought being is that you, you, you ha- they first have to have the intent. I mean, if they don't have the intent, I like what you said, the taxable tail doesn't wag the charitable good dog. And I think that's so critical because – you know, you can have a huge tax liability, and sometimes the reality, because a gift is a gift, which means I am giving it away. I, I can't call you back in 90 days and say, hey, can you give it back? You can't do that. So this is a hard thing. Now, I know there is a program that you can have a chance to give something and yet at death get it back. Talk about it. Uh, those are called donor-advised funds. And so basically you can make a gift now this year and you can decide who you give or what charity you select two years from now, three years from now, five years from now, when you die. And so donor advised funds allow you to make a charitable gift, get the income tax deduction now this year, 2016, and make the decision about the charity later. And that's that is something so many people don't know about. But you just know that you can use a community foundation. uh, I mean, uh, Second Pres has one. Uh, several foundations have that, or charities have a the ability to do a donor advice fund and help you with that, and kind of guide you through that process. We're not talking about a lot of paperwork, are we? No, it's very simple. It's maybe a four or five page uh, document to fill out. Yeah, and uh, David, I know you've had some people do that, and I've had some people do that yes. where they want to do something, but they're just you know not sure exactly. Which charity, but they want to make the gift. I'll say another thing to that, Jim. A lot of times people want to include their family. They're thinking about multi-generational giving, and they can start to include family members as part of their donor-advised fund so that as they start to step away, then they can bring in their children or grandchildren or other uh, close people to them that will continue that um, that intent. Well, you know, I have I have a lot of donor advice funds that we work with our clients, and the reality being is that it is a way to leave a legacy where you can start teaching your family members about the charities that are important to the family and have them to contribute to that decision of where it's going. And so, I mean, I'm working with one right now that, I mean, you can tell his intent is to give money. But he also wants to teach his kids and his grandkids and his grandkids' kids, and it goes down. And he wants to – and you think about it. You know, I, I remember my grandfather. I actually can remember my great-grandfather, but I can have no clue who my great-great-grandfather was. I mean, I just don't. Most of us don't know who our great-grandfather – We you know, it's just – I just happened to because he was still alive when I was old enough to know that just by chance – but the reality is, if you do something like a donor advice fund, you know, you are setting that legacy up, and the family can remember who set this up. The Rockefellers can do it. You know, if they can do it, the Trumps can do it. I mean, we can do it. It's just maybe not at the magnitude, but we still can do that, and that's leaving a legacy and having the opportunity. And that's a donor advice fund. What's a charitable lead trust? Let's talk about that. Yeah, a charitable lead trust is opposite to the charitable remainder trust. It's where the charity gets the income from the gift, and then upon a certain term of years, 10 years, 15 years, then the remaining amount will go to family members. So someone takes a million-dollar gift, they transfer it to a charitable lead trust, the charity gets the income from that million dollars for 10 years or 15 years or 20 years, 
And then upon the end of that term, whatever's left over passes to the family members. So the family members. So literally, it's not completely eliminating that money from the heirs. And the heirs, you know, sometimes you gotta, that's got to be important because you got to talk about that with the heirs. But it does allow that money to come back. But the charity gets the income from it. And that's usually a very sizable gift, isn't it? Not. Yeah, I would say a million dollars is probably the very, very low minimum. minimum. Correct. Because of the uh, advisors and the cost involved. Uh, yes, I would agree with that. You know, guys, here's a thought for you, because I, I, I think so many times do we do people when they make these decisions and as you're walking with them, Mac or, or David, either one of you guys, but people have a tendency to do you sense that they they want to do this? They fear doing it. But if there was an incentive like the charitable lead or something like that, that if they knew about it, you could sense that they would do something. They just don't know. I think knowledge is key, and that's part of where you need to rely on advisors to get advice about your estate, about your assets, about your income tax consequences. And I think that knowledge could push people over to actually make a gift that they're very inclined to do. They have this fear of the unknown. They have the fear of running out of money. Uh, They have the fear that it's permanent, it's irrevocable. They can't change it. Um, And sometimes those income techniques can actually help them get past those things. The only other thing I would say to that, Jim, is I believe testimony is what really – means a lot. You know, knowing someone else that has done the same thing, uh, whether it's attending a banquet or just a friend, maybe they've seen go through the same process, is much more convincing than maybe even having us uh, as the experts tell them how to do it. But so so you're really saying it's a, it's a challenge if you're not involved, if you're not thinking this way, and if you've just been making the gift. It's starting with the testimony. I like that, David. I really think some people you know, what did they do? And somebody said, well, here's what I've done. But then it's also spending time with the advisors, the, the David Rochesters, the Mac Bailey's of the world, and helping someone guide you through the maze sometimes. And that is so critical. So what we're saying to you, if you're listening, we this is about being philanthropic. It's about charitable giving. You have the desire But maybe, as Max said, you just don't know how. You just say, you know, I'm just giving the $50 to $100, $25, $15 a a month. But how can I do more? How can I really like this charity? Well, that's what we've been talking about. Mac Bailey at the Bailey Law Firm. Telephone number for Mac, 843-2760. David Rochester at the office, 757-5757. When we come back. We're going to talk more about donor advice funds. I really want to find out a lot about that. That I'm critical. I think that's important. We'll spend some time. That also, we're going to give you some guidelines on staying out of trouble. Make sure you make the right gift to the right charity. David's going to help us with that. You're listening to Talk Money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. Coming up, Rebecca Brazier and the Mid-South History Moment. Financial advisors do not provide specific tax and or legal advice, and this information should not be considered as such. You should always consult your tax and or legal advisor regarding your own specific tax and or legal situation. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. Despite its uniqueness, Memphis shares a great deal in common with its southern neighbor, Jackson, Mississippi. Founded within two years of each other, both cities were inseparable from the legacy of Andrew Jackson, who co-founded Memphis and in whose honor the new capital of Mississippi was named. Although, like Memphis, Jackson was founded on a river bluff, it is the only state capital to be built over an extinct volcano. Both cities were captured by Union forces in the early days of the Civil War, but Jackson bore the brunt of the fighting and was burned to the ground three times. The very few buildings that were left standing in the aftermath 
were for the most part either Union Army positions, including the governor's mansion, or structures used as civilian hospitals, such as Jackson City Hall. Today, Jackson is a regional medical hub known for many medical innovations, including the first successful lung transplant. This has been another Mid-South History Moment, brought to you by Shoemaker Financial. Talk Money, as you know, is brought to you in part by the Bailey Law Firm. Estate planning, elder law, and probate planning for all generations. And I want to thank them. They're one of our key players in what we do and the fact that they're able to help you move through a lot of those questions that you have when it comes to setting down and planning for retirement or working through your estate. It's all about elder law. The Mac Bailey Law Firm, Mac Bailey and his team, spends a lot of time with you, answers a lot of questions, and we're proud to have them as one of our sponsors. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Just search Shoemaker Financial. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. When we were when we were coming, you know, before we took the break, I was talking about a donor advice fund. And again, I guess that's probably one of the best ways of making gifts. And because it does establish somebody that can say, hey, you know what? I, I, I really want to be a giver and I want to make teach my family and I want to make sure that I'm doing that. So a donor advice fund is exactly what it says. Donor advised. You don't control it. You don't really have the final say-so. I mean, you literally, you're giving it to a charity who has helped you set up a donor or advised fund, and you advise them to where they where you want it to go. Let's just give you an example. Let's say you want it to go to an orphanage in Brazil, and this is one that you have a, a real need for, and uh, you know, I've, I've got a client that does this, and and he says, I want to, I want to give it to that charity. That's where I want it to go on a regular basis. I want it to continue after my death. So as I'm giving, not only today, I'm setting up this so it continues, and I want to get it to a large enough amount of money that it can be the family plays an integral part. Well, I understand that donor advice, but you have to keep in mind that it is only advice. So you've got to select a charity that also has the same mindset as you do. Um, Talk about that with me, Mac. I mean, our our community foundation here is one of the premier community foundations, and most big cities, most cities, or at least regions, have something like a community foundation. Describe the community foundation kind of in a a big 30,000-foot view, so if somebody wanted that, and then why a donor advice fund in your practice is is critical. The three community foundations we work with in our practice is the Community Foundation of Greater Memphis, the right. Hope Christian Community Foundation, and then the Jewish Community Foundation. Right. And all three of those have different um, aspects about them that would make a donor want to make a gift to that particular foundation or community foundation. But the community foundation basically pools you know, charitable gifts together under one umbrella, um, and then they allow each donor, based on the amount that they gave to that group or that pool, to give them advice as to who to give those particular funds to or the interest from those funds to on an annual basis. Uh, I have a lot of clients that will make an initial gift to a community foundation, whether it's 10000 100000 whatever that may be. Then they'll also include in their will or the Roca Living Trust an additional testamentary gift at death, an at-death gift, to further fund that particular donor-advised fund. And I have clients that will get together with their family each year, usually around Christmas time, and they'll say, look, we have $10,000 this year we need to give away. And they may ask their nine-year-old son, who would you like to give a portion of this to? And everybody writes a charity down. They all sit down together. 
divide up the $10,000 amount or the $1,000 amount or $100 amount, whatever it is, and then they send the letter in to the community foundation and say, this is who we'd like to make the gift to. And it's what you were touching on, Jim, about the legacy of giving, help build that at an early age to where they feel like this is something they should do as part of their life. Absolutely. That is such a critical aspect because, again, we have a a great reputation in the city, and it's one of those things that I like is the fact that it does continue in that family, taking the nine, ten. I have a 10-year-old grandson, and we've had that conversation, and I think that's the critical part there is that you do that. And, David, I know with your practice, you you have people that that are focused on something, and how have you seen the Donor Advice Fund be a part of their giving? Well, very similar. Uh, Involving family members, sometimes they're going to run into a situation where they may have um, an asset that they're concerned about when they sell it or use it in retirement, they're going to pay a lot of taxes on. Mm-hmm. So they may decide to take that highly appreciated asset and fund a donor advised account with that mm-hmm. or, or or just give it to a charity in order to get a tax deduction. But it's a way to kind of kickstart it. And yep. then they, they have some type of ongoing ba- uh, giving that they're doing, whether it's small checks that may get involved with uh, – uh, maybe kids or grandkids uh, having a bake sale or, or like we've done in our family selling birdhouses we've made and use that in order to fund that donor advice. I'm trying yep. to think of a birdhouse that you've made. And, um, <laughs> I'm glad that there's other people involved with that with you. <laughs> Just kidding. Thank you. Just kidding. Just kidding. But that, that's exactly what we're talking about when we talk about charitable giving is teaching that aspect to family members, to generations further than just what we do today. And that's critical for us from this standpoint. There's there's ways to do this. There's, there's and I guess we haven't even touched on this. But what are some of the things that you can gift? You've talked. We've all kind of said you kind of mentioned then on an appreciated asset. We've talked about money, but give me some thoughts as far as David. As well, ways. I'll speak to that. I, <clears throat> I think a lot of times we think of well, I'm, we're we're going to write a check, so that's cash. Uh, it doesn't mean you're taking money out of your wallet, but but a check is cash. Uh, but also you need to consider stocks. You know, we're involved in the investment business, so stocks, bonds, uh, mutual funds that have appreciated. Uh, real estate, that's one I've seen a, a lot of people do where they've had maybe real estate they've inherited over the years or they've they've been fortunate enough to have real estate maybe even that their family doesn't desire to own for future generations, and they may gift that. Um, and then, as, as Max said, they may turn that into a – to an annuity that repays them an income. We'll I've see seen a lot of people do that with real estate or a business interest. That is the, where they're about to sell their business and they want to, you know, it's the people are going to buy it. So instead of buying it from them, they make a gift and they say, okay, now buy it from the charity. Charity gets the benefit from it. I, I actually had someone to give appreciated stock recently to Ohio State. And I, I oh my you goodness. know, I, I fought it. I, I mean, I actually went through a process. I mean, it was like, can we, do we have Anywhere to, else. Anywhere. No. You know, one thing to keep in mind there also, Jim, is, uh, and I'll go back to the real estate example. If, if let's, let's imagine that real estate has been gifted from uh, a grandparent to to their child, and now that person is gifted to the to now the grandchild, but nobody's kept up with the cost basis. Right, you may have a hundred dollars an acre of cost basis in something that could be worth thousands. Yeah, if you sold that outright, we're talking about a significant capital gains tax as an as uh, alternative. They may consider gifting that to uh, to charity or to uh, maybe uh, you know however they would want to do that, working with their CPA and their attorney and their financial advisor, but not have to pay all the tax on that uh, and, and be able to benefit the charity. Well, we're talking about sheltering income, capital gains, transferring taxes, planned gift arrangements, all of these things, 
you know, but it's going to accomplish some things. There's some benefits. And so what I want us to think through is the benefits. I want us to specifically do benefits, bullet points and benefits. Mac, when we come back, I really want to, because I think people forget there are benefits. There are some tax things that need to happen. And I want to make sure we're very, very clear on what are these big benefits that we're given for doing that. So if you just tuned in, of course, you're listening to Talk Money. Mac Bailey, David Rochester. We'll be right back after this. Shoemaker Financial and Securian Financial Services are not affiliated with Mac Bailey or the Bailey Law Firm. Financial advisors do not provide tax and or legal advice. Shoemaker Financial and Securian Financial Services do not provide tax or legal advice. Individuals should always consult their tax and or legal professionals regarding their own specific situation. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. Podcasts for Talk Money are available for iOS mobile devices in the iTunes Store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. You know, Mac, before the break, we, we talked about some of the benefits. Now, one of the benefits is having a, reli- a retained life estate. Uh, I can remember someone doing that where we worked through that process, and it was a, a actually a, a resort home that they wanted to have that right so describe that. I don't want to. I don't want to describe it for you. I want you to tell. But they did this, and it was something that they would have. They would have never thought about it. They wanted to retain the benefits, but they knew at the end of the day, the kids really didn't care that much about it. But they enjoyed it. What can they do with a retained life estate? So if a client has a residence or they have a second home, a vacation home, they can actually gift that residence or vacation home to the charity but retain the right to live in it or use it for the rest of their lifetime. So they get an immediate income tax deduction based on that gift. They get the right to stay in their house for the rest of their lifetime or use the vacation property for the rest of their lifetime, and they make a gift to the charity all and, at the same time. And it, and it, they absolutely loved it because they knew that it wasn't going to be at the end of their life when they were gone you know, the kids got to sell it. They didn't care about it. They were going to let it go deteriorate. No, they knew that immediately. And they worked closely with the charity and the people involved in the charity. And honestly, it became almost a, for the charity. They actually used it too. And it was a, it was a great thing for them and it worked. So you're talking about having the ability to give it, get the deduction for it, but retain the right to do it. What are some other benefits from just giving? Well, your first benefit is if it is an income stream gift, you get you increase your current income. That's good. Everybody likes more income. Right. A second benefit is it reduces your current income tax liability. You actually get a deduction on this year's income tax return, which is also a great benefit That's for everybody. Good. Third is if you're gifting an appreciated asset and you would have sold that asset, you would have probably paid capital gains tax. So you're avoiding a potential capital gains tax on that asset that would be paid to the federal government. You also get to pass assets to their family at a reduced tax cost. That's estate taxes and gift taxes. And then the fifth benefit is you're actually making a significant donation to the charity. The charity is benefiting, and you're benefiting as well. It's a win-win situation. I mean, this is these are all things that in order to make this work, you need to do some planning. 
as you talked about earlier. And it's not just getting up one morning and deciding to do it. It's working with someone like you at the Bailey Law Firm, like David at Shoemaker Financial, the CPA. Get get that group of advisors around you and say, okay, I want to make a gift and help me do that. That's the process that it starts. David, I mean, you can't just, people don't just jump up one day and say, let me go do this. It is a planning process. That's exactly right. Now, I think a lot of times we have to be careful because, you could emotionally get get caught up in an idea or something you read or heard or watched on TV and feel like this is something I really want to support. This sounds like a great cause. It does happen, but it, it should require a lot of additional planning. Let's talk about that for a second. When you say, because I know, I, I hate, I'll, I'll be careful for what I say. I was watching television here recently, and I mean, the the words came across and it immediately it got my, it got my got my attention. And I jumped on that. And I said, wow, that's that's impressive. And then as I listened to it, it became something that I wasn't too interested in, but they got my emotions. It really got my emotions. Now, I'm not saying this charity was not a real charity, but we both know there are charities that get your emotions and are not always. In fact, I want you to tell us about one that actually one of them was here in the state of Tennessee. Sure. So, First of all, I think we've got to look and say, are they being efficient with those dollars? When we're when we're thinking about a cause, where do we want the money to go? Do we want it to go to administrative costs? Do we want it to go to advertising costs, or do we want it to go to the final benefactor? To the concrete and the and, the, and the, those those specific people. Exactly. Like the charity that I was talking about in Brazil. This guy is adamant that better than ninety five cents of his dollars. Touches a child. Exactly, and that's what we all want. We know there's those other things have to exist in order to get the money where it needs to go and, and benefit who we want. But, uh, you know, IRS uh, Commissioner John Koshinen said a while back, says, be very careful. said, donor, beware. When making a donation, taxpayers should take extra time to ensure their hard-earned money goes to a legitimate, legitimate and current, currently eligible charity. Do your research. And he was doing, saying that for a reason. He absolutely was. I'll give you an example here. Um, <clears throat> it may sound good. So when we hear about cancer, if we've had family members or, or people we know that have dealt with cancer, we hear Cancer Fund of America, we hear Cancer Support Services, or we hear the Cancer uh, Society Fund of America, we think that's a good cause. And what we found out with, the, with those particular uh, organizations, $187 million dollars was scammed from from donors by giving to those organizations. Yeah, and the sad thing about it is that they were in East. One of them was in East Tennessee, and this guy had worked for the Cancer Society of America. I mean, worked for American Cancer Society, and all he did was walk across the street, opened up a, a storefront, and called it the Cancer Fund of America, and uh, it was a scam. That's right. And uh, you know that's sad that somebody would do that because. As people talked to him and saw him, and again, he's now spending a little time doing time, uh, the reality was that, that that this is a guy that touched people's hearts and for an evil way, an evil thought. Right. And so buyer beware, as you're saying, David, and, and that is so critical, guys. We're, there's so much. David, you talk about this a lot, and I think you, you teach it to your children. I know you do that. You know, we have a servant's heart. We, we We're thinking about it. But giving doesn't always have to be money. That's exactly right. It could be about time. You know, um, I spoke with a lady yesterday when I came home. I met with a client, and this is not necessarily a charity, but it is a servant's heart. And uh, she is she's gotten older, and she wants some Christmas lights put up, and her family's just not available. 
when I got home, I told my son, hey, as much as you love Christmas, and we spend in all the Black Friday, as they call it, uh, the day after Thanksgiving, putting up Christmas lights, he said, Dad, let's go help this lady out. Servant's heart. Servant's heart. That's uh, being a volunteer, doing what you need to do. That's the spirit of giving, and it breeds from that. As you're teaching your son, it breeds to that whole idea of ultimately in charitable giving. Guys, thank you for today's program. You did a great job. We we talked about some heavy stuff, Mac. Thank you. We sure did. Thank you for letting thank me be you, here. Thank you, Jim, for having us. Well, it was a great program. If you've just tuned in, of course, you can listen to this again. Just go to all the things you have to do, iTunes, and pick it up. I'm Jim Shoemaker. My producer and board operator is Gil Worth. Content and guest coordination, Francis Fortner. Compliance, I do the compliance work. Got to keep us out of trouble. Production assistant, Eleanor Moskovich. Mid-South History Moment, Rebecca Bray. Written by Drew Johnson. You're listening to Talk Money. Thank you so much. We'll be back next week with helping you make the most of your money. Jim Shoemaker and David Rochester are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services Incorporated. Securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated.